0: Um, in the context of, of like this class setting or when you're watching Moana, just when you hear the words, um, how far I'll go, your mind, if it's anything like mine, maybe you're not as weird as I am, but your, your mind will probably immediately go to, hey, stop being foolish, um, <laughs> your mind will probably immediately go to this idea of, of, of if it doesn't go to song, do you have joy in your heart? I don't think you do. Um, but this idea, and you're singing uh, this song, How Far I'll Go, and, and, and you're like, you're probably singing that drawn out, like, and no one, no, you know, that like part where you're just getting really, really into it, or when Moana is especially getting really, really into it. Um, in the movie Moana, this was the song. You know, this was the song that was a big deal. Um, when you think about the movie Moana, this song comes to your brain. Uh, this is the this is the song that got mo- the movie Moana to where it was. To be honest, I saw the movie three times before I liked it. My favorite part of this movie was this song, and it's like the only part I enjoyed for the first three times I saw it. It was one of those songs that just caught my attention. It was it was everything that made the movie what it was. It was. And every, since the beginning, Disney has had these I want songs, all right? So they, they call them these I want songs, and this was the I want song from Moana. If you think back in the day to all the Disney movies, you can go back to the very beginning, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, and, and there's I'm Wishing, all right? So, so if you remember Snow White, how many of you have actually seen Snow White? Okay, a pretty good number of you, not a ton. Um, but Snow White sings this song. Um, Snow White sings this song that, that that is making a difference. Then in Cinderella you have a, a dream is a wish your heart makes, um, and and she sings this song that that really is like I want this, I want this. And then you get on to 1994, a little bit more modern, when when you just can't wait to be king with Lion King, right? And everyone's saying look left, everyone's saying look right. He has, he wants to be king. It's an I want song. To became, if you fast forward a little bit to 2009, it tangled the idea of when will my life begin, and so when it became, and when it came time for them to write this movie of Moana, and they had this idea of we need an I want song. What is this I want song going to be? They knew that they had to write something spectacular because the I want song in the soundtrack is going to be the song that people remember. The first song that they wrote for this movie was called More. And, and so you're sitting there thinking, like, they just, they just cranked out a song, uh, How Far I'll Go. And no, 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 they, this went through trial and error. They, they wrote this song called More. And when you listen to the song, it's, it's later on in the soundtrack. If you go listen to the soundtrack, it was supposed to be in the place of How Far I'll Go, and if you listen to it, you do hear little bits of the song How Far I'll Go scattered throughout it, where it was the original um, song that they were supposed to be singing. Um, But the producers decided, you know what, that's that's not exactly what we're looking for in this movie. Um, The writer and producer of the movie, his name is Lemuel Miranda. Um, If you don't know who that is, uh, he's, he's like gaining fame by every year, um, it, it, he wrote Hamilton, the play, which was incredibly like successful on Broadway. This guy is a musical genius, and when he wrote this song, he, he says that you know what? I'm still super proud of the song "More," the one that that he wrote originally for He said he was he was super proud of it, but he didn't think it was good enough because the only thing if you were to listen to the song that that song portrayed was this idea. Of, of, I just want to leave this island, I want to get off this island, I hate this island, I want to be gone, but he wanted it to be deeper than that. He wanted it to, to be a song that made you think, that went, that, that made your mind churn, and, and three days later, as you're sitting there humming the song, How Far I'll Go in Your Head, it hits you. Man, that's a really cool point from the song, and I think he was successful. The song, How Far I'll Go, portrays the message of, I love my parents, I love my island, I love my people, but why can't I stop going towards the ocean? I want more. Why why can't I stop doing this? I want something bigger for myself. In Genesis, I think Joseph was facing a little bit of the same issue. Joseph was sitting there and he was he was in in a way he loved his dad, especially if you think about his family. But I love my family, I love my country, I love what I do. But my dreams keep on saying I'm going to rule over everybody. Why do I keep having these dreams? And as a 17-year-old, I don't know who in here is 17. Is anyone, Colton, a few of you? um, A few of you are 17, Brendan. um, Generally, as a 17-year-old, you have these dreams. Maybe you're like, I don't have dreams. I don't have anything. But you expect yourself to be somewhere someday. You have something that you wish you could do someday. And I imagine Joseph is sitting there in this moment, kind of saying, I have all these dreams that that I want to do. I have all these legitimate dreams that I'm dreaming in my head. um, And I'm having these dreams about being a ruler one day. So why am I not reaching this ultimate ruler position? And in the beginning, I'm sure he didn't think he would go too far. If you remember back to a couple weeks ago when we started out this study, and you think about uh, Joseph, and he would go in and he would would tell all these brothers about these dreams, and he would tell his dad, and they were like, hey, stop being foolish, you big loser. And he, of course, would be sad, I'm sure. Um, But everyone in his family hated him. They could not even talk to him, and even his father rebuked him. Yet he was placed in charge of his brothers. If you remember the idea of the coat of many colors, he was still a little bit in charge of his brothers and still their boss, essentially. Um, and he has the symbol of being in charge. Um, and, and maybe in his mind, this was the extent of his brothers bowing down to him. Maybe in his mind, at this moment, Joseph was sitting here saying, you know what? When I think about how far I'm gonna go in my life, maybe these dreams that I kept on having we're about my coat. Maybe they were about me being in charge of my brothers, and maybe one day I'm going to take over my father's house, and and, and my father and mother are going to bow down to me because, like, it's essentially they're going to die, and I'm going to take over, and my brothers are not going to be in charge, and I'm going to be in charge. Maybe he thought this was how far he was going to go. But little did he know what was about to take place in his life. We, we stopped reading last week, and in verse 11 of chapter 37, little does he know what's about to take place in the rest of the chapter. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and be turning to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37. Um, I'm going to say this. Uh, I mentioned this last week. I said I would love if we if we started using our like paper Bibles in class. I think it's awesome. Um, this is going to be like the last week. And I know this is about me, like the old man, like... Argh, like no electronics. I'm like, has on next week, like phone Bibles, like we're not going to use them. Paper Bibles only. If I see a phone, I'm going to call you out. So, like, you guys right here next week, I'd be like, boys, put your phones away um, and, and ridicule you in major amounts. Um, so, next week, bring your paper Bible. Um, technically, two weeks from now, but all through Team BBS, bring your paper Bible um, because that, that will allow us to really dive in and stay focused. I know, like, I've used my phone Bible for things. And I know for a fact that like, when I'm sitting there studying and I have a notification pop-up, like, you better believe I'm checking it. Like, There's no way I'm not. Um, and so like, I know it's distracting for everyone in this room. Um, and a notification pops up and you're on your phone, Bible, and that can like, take your mind away from the Word of God at hand. Um, J- Joseph's world, though, is about to change. His father, Jacob, is about to give him a task that is going to change his world forever. He's going to send him on a mission. Now, a lot of times when you think about your life, I don't don't know when you think about like life situations, um, there are certain things that take place in life uh, that like change your life forever. Uh, You think about, um, who knows who Joe Theismann is? Okay, like four of you. Joe Thyssen was a football player who who dropped back, and when he got tapped, his leg snapped in like 80,000 pieces, and he never played football again. It was in that moment, that decision to run that play, that like ruined his life forever. I I think a lot of us probably know people, um, or know of people, who have gotten who decided to drive somewhere to get, like, ice cream, and on their way, they got in a bad accident and were paralyzed because of it, or, or passed away because of it. It's little things that can change lives forever. And what is about to happen is Jacob's going to send Joseph on this mission that is going to change his life forever. Let's start reading in verse 12. It says, Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock as Shechem, come, I will send you to them. And he said to them, here I am. So he said, go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem, and a man found him wandering in the fields. All right, I'm going to stop there. What, what kind of goes on right here um, is, is Joseph goes on and is looking for his brothers and all that fun stuff, and a guy directs him towards the brothers. Notice something, though. What were all the brothers doing? All the other brothers were out shepherding in the field. All the other brothers were out working hard, probably dealing with sheep. If you've ever dealt with sheep before, um, you know they're not fun to deal with. They run off on you. They they can be silly sometimes, and, and it's not necessarily enjoyable to deal with sheep. And so these brothers are out shepherding the flocks, being shepherds. Um, how many times can I say shepherd in one minute? Um... And Jacob looks at Joseph and he's like, hey, my son, my favorite son, my son that I gave a coat to, what I need you to do right now is go check on your brothers, see what they're up to, and bring me a report. Now, if you remember from a couple weeks ago what we discussed, we discussed this idea that Joseph was a little bit of a liar sometimes. Joseph had a tendency, based on the story we read last week, to twist his story for the worst, Um, and he could slander his brothers at points. Um, Now, does this mean his brothers are perfect? Absolutely not. Um, We see in other stories they go and slaughter a village. That's very fun. Um, We won't get into that right now. Um, So they're probably not doing everything they're supposed to be doing. They're not super wise. Um, But you also have to imagine that the report Joseph takes back is is normally probably a little bit more negative than usual. And then some other crazy stuff happens. And I'm sure most of you know exactly what's about to take place. And Joseph goes up to where the brothers are supposed to be. They've moved. And then it picks up in verse 18. Um, They saw him from afar. And before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. Now, I want us to stop right here. It says they saw him from afar. They saw him from afar. I think this part of the story is one of the most underrated parts and, like, most untalked about parts of the story of Joseph that we read. See, we, you don't just like see someone, think about this, the brothers are all out in the field um, I'm sure like Reuben somewhere and Simeon somewhere else and Levi and Judah, they're all like probably scattered um, and, and doing all their shepherding in different places, watching over their personal flocks spread out. Um, and so they're all over the place and then Joseph comes over the hillside. Now, I want you guys to think logically with me for a moment. Um, Could brothers scattered over a hillside shepherding their flocks, see their brother coming within two minutes, sprint together, and conspire an evil plan to kill their brother? I don't think so. See, when it sits here and says they saw him from afar, I don't think Joseph just was like strolling over the hillside all by himself, like, hey, brothers, where are you? I'm in my fancy coat. Where are you? I'm all by myself. I don't think that's taking place right here. I think when it says that, that Joseph is coming and they see him from afar off, they're not just seeing Joseph. See, because if you remember the Jacob, the father of Joseph, this dude's loaded. This dude has so much cash, this guy has anything he wants. And so you have to imagine that Joseph comes strolling over the hill with, with a group of people. Maybe it's a camel, maybe it's a form of transportation, but everything around him probably screams, hey, I'm a caravan of Jacob. I'm Joseph, and the brothers immediately, from far away, they see the cloud of dust and they see the shape coming towards them, and they gather together and give this this make this plan. Now, if you're a car person, you understand what I'm talking about. Example, I'm I, this came out when I was a freshman in high school. This car, so like these headlights mean everything to me. I'm like, oh, it's a Lamborghini Aventador. That's beautiful. And if I see those headlights coming down the road, I know exactly what it means and I think that in this situation when the brothers see a large caravan of people coming with Joseph, they immediately know, ah, there's our pathetic little brother. And due to this anger, they decided that they were going to kill him. Let's keep reading. Verse 19, they said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Got him, come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what has become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, good brother, saying, let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, throw it. <laughs> throw him into this pit here in in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him. Um, and then it, like, ends quote, I picture, like, a narrator, like, I mean, that he might rescue him out of the hand to restore him to his father. I don't know, I just think it's... Like, a narrator comes in right there. It's pretty funny. Um, last week, we talked about this idea of, are we like Joseph? Are we arrogant? Or, or not last week, a couple weeks ago. Are we like Joseph? Are we arrogant? Are we rude? Do we do people around us find us annoying? If they do, what are we doing to try to solve that? What are we doing to try to make people sit there and say, you know what? That person's an enjoyable person to be around. That's somebody that, that I would love to sit down And talk to Um, we talked all about that but this week I want to ask the question do we have the patience to deal with people who acted like Joseph do we have the people the patience to deal with people who act like Joseph did because in this story the brothers did not have patience in this story, the brothers saw him coming over the hill, and their patience was gone. Their patience was exhausted. It was worn out. It had disappeared. And in their minds, it said, let's kill this little punk. And then Reuben's like, "Nah, let's not do it. Let's just toss him in his pit, in this, this pit. There was a well, and that's now dried up. A few weeks ago, Amelia and I were in Waco, Texas. Now, Waco, Texas is known for a few things. Um, Magnolia, which is Chip and Joanna Gaines, America's couple, fixer-upper, wonderful. Um, Chip shaved his head a few days ago, uh, which was epic. Uh, But but Chip and Joanna Gaines are very Waco. Another thing that Waco, Texas is known for is it is where Dr. Pepper the drink was founded. The creator of Dr. Pepper was in Waco, Texas. Therefore, the first ever bottling company for Dr. Pepper, where they made Dr. Pepper for the first time ever, is in Waco, and they built a museum on the site of that bottling, and Amelia and I decided, you know what? We're going to go to the Dr Pepper Museum because she's an addict. Um, and so, so we walked in, and and we were going through it, and we came to a room, and the room had a well. And this is this is the well there at the Dr Pepper Museum. It's really hard to see because they have like lights down it. Um, this well was very deep. It was incredibly deep. It was it was like sickening to look. Did you look down at all? It was like a, it was it made you queasy to look down because it was like. Well, I would die if I fell. Um, but, but this was a frightening thing. And I was reading on like the little, like the whole wall thing they had. And it was like, in the summer months, this dries up, which became a real problem when they were making Dr. Pepper. All that fun stuff. But it was one of those things that, that it said it dried up in the warm summer months. And here they are in this story in and Joseph. And, and they tossed Joseph into a well that would have been like this very similar to this. Toss him in this large pit uh, that was dried up. They did not have the patience to handle his annoying nature. Do we have the patience to handle annoying people without letting sin enter our behavior? Because the brothers had an opportunity here. They had their obnoxious little brother coming towards them. They had the opportunity to handle his situation with patience. And not sin, and they totally failed. Oh, sorry. And they totally failed. They tossed Joseph into the pit. Uh, I enjoyed the child drawing. there. Um, I think about my cousin. Uh, now my cousin, uh, he's a nice kid now. But but a few years ago, this cousin was a little dirtbag. Okay, from age two, from age two, he was a bully, and I, I wanted to toss him in a pit. Uh, <laughs> and I'm not kidding. Like Amelia can attest to that. Like. Like, there have been points when, man, I just want to punch the little kid in the face. And I, and I can remember a certain day, and Amelia was there to witness it, um, a few years ago, where where it was myself and my brother and Amelia and my mom, we were sitting there at the kitchen table. And this obnoxious little cousin could not help but sit there and pester my brother. And he was whining in his ear about, Sam, come and play with me, Sam, come and... And it was just nonsense, I'm not kidding, for 15 minutes. And then he walked up on the stairs in my house and sat there and just said, Sam's a total loser for not playing with me. It was just, and, and for like 30 minutes this went on. And finally my brother said, I've had enough. And marched up there, picked him up, drug him into the other room, and suddenly we heard a fight ensued. And, and my brother absolutely beat the snot out of my cousin. <laughs> um, at one point we heard my little cousin scream at the top of his lungs at my brother through tears, I HATE YOU! <laughs> to which my brother responded, I HATE YOU TOO! <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was quite a moment. Um, my, my brother, like the brothers in this story, uh, failed, to, failed to have patience um, and lost his cool with my little cousin. Um, why could losing patience with someone be a big deal? And maybe you're sitting here and you're like, this is like an obvious answer. And, and I hope to you right now it is an obvious answer. Um, but like as we sit here and as we discuss this idea what could make this a big deal. And Jake, in your prayer earlier, you said, please help us take what we're learning this lesson to tonight and apply it. And I hope that this is such an obvious thing that, that we understand it and that we get it. And that it's just something that we apply to us uh, ourselves regularly, but when is the last time your relationship with someone grew because you lost your cool with them? Because you lost your patience with them? It's common sense, yet for some reason it's so easy for us to not walk away and to just allow ourselves to lose patience so quickly. See, you might be sitting here right now and you might be thinking there are people in this YouTube who get on your nerves. You might be sitting here thinking that there are classmates in this youth group who, who who drive you up a wall. You might be sitting there thinking right now that there are people at your school who get on your last nerves and you can't handle being around them. Maybe it's to a point where you don't like walking through these doors. Maybe it's a point where you don't like going to school. Maybe it's a point where you the last thing you want to do is be near a group of people because there's someone who's in that group of people who you can't stand to be around. But those people, and, and I, I beg that we hear this tonight, those people are people who need the love of Christ in their heart just as much as you need the love of Christ to flow through you. Just as much as you need the grace of God to flow through you. And if we're sitting here and our immediate reaction is to take those people who who drive us crazy, to take those people who annoy us, to take those people who get on our last nerves and to toss them to the side and reject them, then we're not allowing them to have the grace of God, to feel the love of God that they need to feel in their lives. We have to be ready to show the love of our Father to everyone, no matter who they are. I want us to keep going, because a life-changing moment happens. If you remember Moana, um, when Moana is shown the boats, you guys remember this scene? Her grandmother takes her up and like reveals the, the vines, which, like, man, the vine reveals are always the best. Tangled as well. Uh, but the, she re- pulls back the vines, and Moana walks in, and she holds up the torch, and like she's going through everything, and then she's like, we were voyagers! And she's so excited because she realizes that the ocean's calling to her. Why? Because in their past, the family were voyagers. She's, she's wanting to go out to the ocean because that's who her family is. That's the tradition. That's who they are. And then her grandmother is like, here's the heart of the Pt. And hands it to her and, and, and she gives it to her. And she's like, you have to return it. And Moana gets super excited. And then she starts to do this whole reprise of how far I'll go. And she like hops on a boat and sails away. Um, And I think Joseph in this story... No, I know Joseph in this story is about to have a moment that is going to change his life forever. Let's go ahead and read it, just just for all time's sake. Verse 25. Then they sat down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites uh, coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What prophet is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. And let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. Good call, just sell him. Um, <laughs> then many night traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up, and they lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites. For 20 shekels of silver, they took Joseph to Egypt. Um, not only... Like, by the way, this is like a very common thing. Like, a lot of people who know the story of Joseph know that Joseph was sold into slavery. There was a Broadway musical about it, um, and all these things that, that, that like tell this story. So a lot of people know the story um, about Joseph. But a lot of times they're like, oh, they sold him. Like, they, they, got, they sold a slave, like a young strapping guy who had been a boss. Like, this guy must fetch something large. And uh, yet, when they sold Joseph, they sold him for 20 shekels of silver, which in today's money would be $200. Um, so Joseph equals $200 in the minds of his brother um, brothers, which they sold their brother for $200. I would not sell my brother for 200 I probably wouldn't sell my brother for anything. That was, that was weird. Uh, <laughs> <but> <laughs> I would not tell my brother um, to do But these guys don't value their brother's life. Because they're like they're like, what, you want a deal? All right, $200. That's essentially worthless. And what they do is they essentially give their brother away. All they wanted to do was get rid of him. And I want to ask, what has been done in your life that has forever changed your life? Maybe when you think about it, you're like, I'm, I'm not there right now. I don't know if I've had something in my life that has forever changed my life. Maybe you have had something in your life that has forever changed your life. But I think that there are two sides to this. And this made me think of life changes by Thomas Red. But, and then there are two sides to this. What has been done in your life? What has been done to you that has forever changed your life? towards a worldly attitude? What has changed you to become more like the world? Maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, man, when I look at my life, I've gone through a situation and and it's really just taking me away from my spirituality. When I look at a situation, when I have been, in quotes, tossed in a pit, when I have been, in quotes, sold to slavery, in slavery, I really just wanted to turn away from spirituality. Maybe it was a bad family situation. Maybe it was it was a, a death in your family, um, or or someone you were close to passed away. Maybe you have a group of friends who influenced you in a way that caused you to disgrace yourself. Maybe you're in a relationship that that caused you to sin in a lot of different ways. Maybe maybe you're invested too much into a sport or invested too much into a job that's not allowing you to stay focused. On, on the spiritual things in your life. But maybe there's a life event that's taking place in your life. Maybe it's already taken place or it's taking place right now. When you're sitting there and in your mind you're like, man, all that's done is taken me away from God. And I can say with some certainty that in this moment when Joseph was hauled out of the pit and sold for $200 to these slave traders, that he probably thought that his life was being changed to the worst. That he probably thought that, that his life was over, that it was worthless, and that he was going to go rot in a cell somewhere, rot in a field, rot building pyramids, and everything would be worthless. And I'd be willing to say that Joseph was probably tempted to give up. When our world looks tough ahead, when we may want to give up, it's time to stay strong. If you remember a Moana, when she saw that rotten coconut, we talked about it last week. Her reaction wasn't to sit there and be like, oh, we're dead. We're all going to die. We just have to accept that." Her reaction was, hey, we've got to find a solution to this. She's saying how far I'll go. And my challenge to you is that when we have something in our life that we feel like is sitting there and it's dragging us away from God, it's taking our spiritual lives and taking it and tossing it in a dungeon somewhere else, that we're going to stand up and we're going to sing that I want song and challenge it. Maybe there's something in your life that has caused you to be more spiritual. Maybe there's that event in your life where you look at it and and, and you're like, man, when that happened to me, my spirituality skyrocketed. Maybe it was a camp, maybe it was a lesson you heard, maybe it was the time you were baptized, maybe it was a family member had tied or there was an accident in the family or a close friend. Maybe it was spending time with more spiritual people. Whatever it might be, what has impacted you spiritually? And I want to ask us the question tonight as we as we finish up. Is our I Want song the song that says, I want you, Father? Is our, is our I Want song the one that says... Um, that says, I want you, God. I want you to be in control of my life. Through this life-changing moment, I want you to be the center of my life. Are we going to turn around and are we going to not sing that I want song? Are we going to reject him and walk the other direction? Let's let our I want to be an I want you, God. Take me as far as you want me to go. The song, How Far I'll Go, closes with this line. I think this is really cool if the wind in my sail on the sea stays behind me one day i'll know how far i'll go and i think as joseph in this story if you go to verse 38 was being del- or verse 36 was being delivered to egypt what he was probably doing was sitting there and as he was being carried away as he was going in the other direction, his life changed in that moment. And that awful thing probably had him singing, Father, if you are staying behind me, if you are the one who's filling my sails, who's guiding me the direction I need to go, Father, I know that my destination is going to be okay. I know that no matter what I go through, I will be okay, and I will know how far I'm going to go. It's the same thing for us. If we allow God to fill that sail behind us, we know exactly where we are going to go into that final destination. Let's stand up, circle up, um, and then Drew, can you say a prayer for us?